welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. out today. What's the reason for that? Is there a special day today? <laughs> oh, it's Mother's Day, <laughs> yeah. So today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to, to all our moms out there. Um, the kids have prepared something special for our moms in Kid City. Special, I use that term a little lightly. I've seen what they prepared. It's, it's special for them. <laughs> but um, yeah, so just want to say Happy Mother's Day, remind you guys to call your moms today, to be there for your moms today. Um, but today shouldn't be different from any other day. Uh, is there, do you guys hear, uh, is that me? Is that, am I on? Yeah, okay. Um, I didn't know if that was outside or inside my head. <laughs> so, uh, but today shouldn't be any different from any other day. Right? Because our moms are special, they've done so much for us, and, and um, I mean, now that I'm a parent, been a parent, well now, eight years, been a parent, uh, I really see how much goes into it, right? So I remember when I first had kids, I called my mom up, and I apologized to her. It wasn't Mother's Day, it wasn't anything special, I just said, I'm sorry for everything I did to you growing up. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Make sure today is special for your moms, but don't just focus on one day of the year. Uh, I told our girls, we have an almost eight-year-old and a, a six-year-old, I told them, they're like, what are we going to do for Mother's Day? And I was like, nothing special. And they're like, well, if we don't do anything special for Mother's Day, we don't do anything special for Father's Day. <laughs> that was their response to me. I was like, every day is Father's Day. No, uh, so, yeah, just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, and, and then, yeah, if you're, if you're a parent here, you should be getting something awesome from your kids, hopefully. Okay, so we're in a sermon series called Mountain, and uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And just to remind you guys that Jesus is preaching this sermon, and that it is a sermon, and that it's all a united Thing, a united entity. And what we tend to do, and I know I repeat this, I've repeated this every week, but it seems like we, I mean, you're not here every week, so I'm going to repeat it again. We want to keep it as a unity. We want to make sure we're interpreting the Sermon on the Mount in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and also in the context of the book of Matthew. Because what we tend to do with the Sermon on the Mount is, is take pieces of it out and try to interpret them separately. And, what, and when we do that, we misinterpret and we misunderstand, which is why we've misunderstood when Jesus says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, basically turn the other cheek. Uh, we say, oh, well, I don't get that. How can Jesus say that? Well, it's because we're, we often myopically focus on this one portion of the text without looking at what Jesus is doing throughout. And what he's doing is he's building kingdom character in us. And he's doing that through giving us kingdom principles. Okay? Principles. He's not establishing a new law. 
Remember, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. So he didn't get rid of it. He didn't establish a new one. He fulfilled it for us. And this is why we live in grace, not legalism. This is why the Christian faith is not a bunch of do's, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you can be with God. That's not the Christian faith. A lot of people outside the Christian faith think that's what the Christian faith is. And you may be in here this morning, and this may be one of your first times in church, and you may think that's what, that's what uh, the Christian faith is. No, that's what religion is, but the Christian faith is not a religion, okay? It is a, it is a relationship with the Father, and it's a recognition of our identity in Christ. And so here at Trinity Life, we say it's discovering our identity in Christ and our destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. We'll walk through that a little bit later today. So what I want you to understand is in the entire Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is establishing principles for us to live by. He's giving us a, a base. He's giving us a foundation. He's giving us a diving board. And, and, and we see that when he says, and I said this last week, when we read this passage on don't be angry, a lot of us go to, well, what does it mean? Like, is that a sin? Where's, where's the line? If I'm angry and I cross this line, does that make it a sin? What, if, if you're asking that question, you've totally missed the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're created for something better than that. He's saying don't ask the question about anger or not anger, sin or not sin. Like, ask anger, what is the heart of God in this? And pursue that. He says, that's what you're created. You weren't created to establish the line and then try to cross over it. So think about all that as we go into the Lord's Prayer. We talked about things around the Lord's Prayer last week, giving, prayer, and then fasting. And then we took this middle section and put it on the next week. And so we're going to talk about that whole thing. Uh, And then we've themed each week. So this week, you are, is, you are forgiven, we've done, you are reconciled, you are blessed, you are rescued, uh, next week we'll do you are eternal, all that. So each week there's, there's a principle that we're trying to, to teach you about kingdom character. And this one is that we operate out of our, our forgiveness, out of what God has given us, that he has forgiven us. And a lot of times in our lives we forget that. And, and when we do... It affects our prayer life. So I'm going to give you some quotes on prayer, and we're going to walk, walk through these. Because when we say prayer, I want us all to be on the same page with what prayer is. And we're going to talk about that today and talk about some practicals with prayer. So this is a quote from Mother Teresa, 20th century Albanian Roman Catholic nun to India. A lot of people don't know that she's Albanian. A lot of people think she's Indian. Uh, but she was born in what is now Macedonia. So Mother Teresa, she says this, prayer is not asking. Now, you're like, well, I do a lot of asking in prayer. And, and she's saying, well, we'll get to what she's saying, but, but she's not making an absolute statement that you don't ask in prayer, uh, because you do ask in prayer. But she's getting to the heart of things. She says, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. How much of your prayer life is focused on listening versus talking? For many of us, prayer is a monologue. We're talking to God. If we're not talking to God, then we're not praying. But, it's, but prayer is actually a dialogue. It's a conversation. 
It's us listening to God. And if you're talking all the time, then you're not listening. And she gets to the heart of this, that we are supposed to be at his disposition, not ours. And that's why Jesus' prayer is not asking, because for most of us, our prayer life is centered around asking for things that we want and asking God to give us things. And she says, when's the last time you've, you've taken time to just listen and sit at the Lord's feet? Okay, so that's, uh, yep, next quote. This is from Soren Kierkegaard, 19th century Danish existentialist philosopher known as the father of existentialism, uh, along with Nietzsche. He says, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change your nature. And a lot, again, a lot of times we pray, and you may not have thought about it like that, but when you think about your prayer life, a lot of what you're trying to do is coax God into giving you something or, or influence him into doing something for you. And, and he says, but the point of prayer is to change your own nature. It's you. It's transforming you. You're not transforming God. When you're in your prayer life, that's supposed to transform you. God's using it to transform you. And Soren Kierkegaard had a rough life. He died young. He had a rough life. He, like, fell out of a tree early on, and he dealt with these chronic injuries and, and this illness all throughout his life. And, and so sometimes we can look at quotes like these, divorce from, from the person's life, and we can say, oh, well, he doesn't know my issues, you know, well, you don't know what I'm going through. And, and this guy, he, he, he gives this quote, out of a really rough experience in life. And, and he says, we're not supposed to influence God. We're supposed to let him influence us. All right, next quote. Sylvia Plath, 20th century American poet, author, I talk to God, but the sky is empty. Anyone feel like that in their prayer life? Anyone feel like that when you, when you talk to God? that the sky is empty. Sylvia Plath um, committed suicide. She had, a, she had life uh, struggles in her life with mental illness, depression, anxiety. And, um, and this is a quote from just born out of her struggles. I talked to God, but the sky is empty. And again, you may say, well, she makes that quote, but she doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, she had, she went through a lot. And what you're noticing so far in these quotes, something that is a thread throughout all of these is this disposition of, of humility, is, is also this expectation that when I speak to God, something should happen, something is going to happen. And we're seeing that through these quotes right now. Let's go, to, let's go to the next one. And before I get to this one, you may be in here this morning, you may not even have a prayer life. You may say, I've never talked to God before. You may say, my prayer life is, is not very good. It's in shambles. It's, 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 it's hanging by a thread. And, and hopefully this morning, we will start to, when I say prayer life, we'll start to give you a new understanding of what that is and what that could be in your life. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because prayer for me, personally, is not an easy thing. It's something that I have to work at. It's a discipline. It's, it's something that I have to build into myself. Now, some of you guys out there, uh, you guys are gifted in intercessory prayer. The Spirit has gifted you with that. You pray, and, and things just happen, 
And so the rest of us, like average people, we have to work at a prayer life. And, and, and there's so many reasons for that. We'll get to one of the main reasons soon. But just want you to know that I empathize with you out there. If you're like, man, I'm, I, I just struggle with this. So do I. So Friedrich Nietzsche, 19th century German philosopher, he says, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of what, uh, of what he thinks about God there. And, and there's a fundamental misunderstanding of himself. And here's a thread of humility, uh, thread, not threat, thread of humility running through this again, is that he thinks God, one, he thinks God is needy. That God needs praise all the time. God does not need your praise. God is not pining for it. He's not waiting there for, for Michelle to, to come there and say, God, I, you're the best thing ever. God doesn't need it. He, he has eternally existed in perfect community without us. Okay? He doesn't, he doesn't need us to praise him all the time. God is deserving of our praise. There's a huge difference there. And what, what Nietzsche, what, what he's missing about himself is that, is that uh, he needs to recognize his own position before God. That God is deserving, we're not deserving, and that because of that, because we are his, his creatures he has created, we praise him. We recognize that his love is perfect, that ours isn't, that his, his justice is, is perfect, that ours isn't, that he is holy and we're not all these things because he's God. So in our prayer, so that, all that should inform our prayer life. We'll get to that in a second too. Uh, last quote. This is Mohandas Gandhi, uh, 19th to 20th century Indian civil rights and independence activist. Uh, most people don't know his first name is actually Mohandas, not Mahatma. Mahatma is a, a title, not a first name. It's like Jesus Christ. Maybe Christ isn't his last name, it's, it's a title. Uh, so Mohandas Gandhi, he says this, prayer is not asking. We've heard that one before, right? It's kind of interesting that Mother Teresa, who also uh, spent her life in India, started her quote with that. So prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. And, you know, all these people I've quoted, they're, they're not all of the Christian faith. Uh, obviously, Gandhi isn't. And... And so, I mean, just, just so you know that I know that, uh, prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. Wow. I mean, for someone who's not a follower of Jesus, he gets prayer more than a lot of us do. It's a longing of the soul. When was the, time, when was the last time your soul longed to be in the presence of the Father? And we think about, about our prayer lives and we're like, wow, my soul longs for a lot of things sometimes. And a lot of times it's not to be with the Father. You may say, your soul longs for food. <laughs> uh, your soul longs for entertainment. Your soul longs for your cell phone. Your soul longs for um, affirmation from other people. Your soul longs for approval from your parents, your soul longs for your degree in school, your soul longs for that promotion. But how many of us would say our soul longs to be in communion with the Father? And he says that's what prayer is. It is a daily admission of one's 
weakness. It's better, to, it's better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It's better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. You see, the, the, one of the fundamental things about prayer is that it requires us to be humble. And one of the primary things that prevents us from being humble is its enemy, pride. Aristotle actually calls pride a virtue. And when a 12th century Christian monk by the name of uh, St. Bernardo Clairvaux was asked what the four cardinal virtues were, which are justice, wisdom, courage, and moderation or temperance, he said the four are humility, 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 humility. And then you have Aristotle, a Greek philosopher who's influenced much of our thinking in the Western world, who says that pride's actually a virtue. And, and you say, oh, well, Aristotle, like, that's, that's kind of, like, we wouldn't agree with that. We wouldn't say, if you're a follower of Jesus, especially, you might say, no, 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 no. We know that the Bible says pride is not a virtue. It's actually a vice. It's actually not a good thing. It's, it's a bad thing. But we operate day to day like pride is a virtue. Just think about what you say. Think about your attitude. Think about what people say. Things like, man, how can you let her say that to you? You're better than that. And you think, yeah, I am better than that. Yeah, how could I let her say that to me? Uh, you know, something I always hear about when, when you see people interviewed on, on TV for accomplishments, one of the main things you'll, you'll hear, whether it's an Olympic athlete, a professional athlete, a Nobel Prize winner, et cetera, et cetera, you'll, you'll hear them say, I'm so proud of myself. And somewhere along the lines, we as a society have started affirming that statement. Yeah, it's good for you to be proud of yourself. I'm so proud of myself. And, and it's the first thing. I'm, you know what? I'm so proud of myself. And people say, well, you should be proud of yourself. That's, that's right. And we, so we've taken what Aristotle has said centuries and centuries before, and we've started to make pride again into a virtue. Where the scriptures say, when we're prideful, we're going to fall. The scriptures say, when we puff ourselves up, then then bad things are going to happen. The scriptures say, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So there's a, and so I want you to see there's a difference here, too, between pride and exaltation. God says, you were meant to be in Christ Jesus. You were meant to be exalted with him, but you're also meant to do that through humility, through humbling yourself. C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis, author of Mere Christianity, theologian, philosopher, professor, um, in the 20th century, Chronicles of Narnia, all the, and then he wrote all these theological works. He says, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes, hates, when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And guess what? The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. He's talking about pride. 
This is why Jesus, actually, before Jesus, the first, com- the first of the Ten Commandments is about this. Thou shalt not put any other gods before me. Uh, and this is why Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this entire sermon that Jesus is, is preaching is in that context. The very first thing he tells us is, Blessed are you who are humble. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You will see God. You will uh, inherit the earth, he says to the meek. And you will be in the presence of the Father, as we talked about yesterday. So let's, let's go into this passage and see what all that means for prayer now. Michelle didn't read these verses. We talked about these verses a little bit last week. It's verses 5 through 8. And let, let me just talk about these real quick because Jesus, this is kind of Jesus setting up the Lord's prayer for us. So he says here uh, a few things. <laughs> he says, and when you pray, uh, you, must not like, you must not be like the hypocrites. For what they do is they love to stand in public, pray in the synagogue, and, and at the street corners, in order that they may be seen by others. Last week we talked about that is an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of being in public, because we just prayed in public. Joycelyn just, just prayed for us in public, right? And none of us were thinking, oh, look at her. She's a hypocrite. She's standing there. She's, she's trying to lead us in prayer and looks so holy and pious. And I hope we didn't think about it. Where's Joycelyn? She's in here, right? She's like, hi. She's like, no. um, we, none of us thought that. Uh, so he's not talking about, well, it's bad to pray in public, He's talking about the issue of the heart. He says their motive was that they may be seen by others, that others would say, man, look at that person. They're so pious. They're so righteous, et cetera, et cetera. And he says they get what they want. They get the praise of others, and they have their reward. They wanted that, so they got it. What they gave up in return was something of eternal significance. They gave up the presence of the Father. And that's why he says, but when you pray, do this. Remember, Jesus is not establishing a new law code. So he's not saying when you pray, this is how it's to be done. This is exactly what you have to do. You have to go in in your room. You have to shut the door. You have to pray to your father who is in secret and your father is in secret. Because that's when the scripture says pray without ceasing. If that's the case, we'd all be in our rooms right now if we're trying to follow Jesus. But we can't do that. And Jesus knows that. He's giving us a principle to jump off of. And he starts with our heart, and he says, you need to get your heart right, because prayer isn't about others seeing you. Prayer is about being in the presence of the Father so that he sees you, and that he's with you, and that you see him, and that you know that he's with you. It's, it's this relationship with the Father. It's communion with the Spirit. It's fellowship with the Spirit. And then going into verse 7, he says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases. Why waste your breath? The Gentiles do this. Those who don't know Jesus do this, he's saying, or know God do this. For they think that they'll be heard because they're just saying a bunch of words. He says, don't be like them, because your father actually knows what you need before you ask him. And this is why Mother Teresa says, prayer is not about asking. God knows what you need before you ask him. That doesn't mean we don't ask. But that means that there's something more to prayer than asking God for things. It's about being in his presence. It's about being with the Father. Think about when you pray. I have, my prayer life has transformed over the past five to ten years. 
because of this passage. And I started to think of what, like, how, just how I pray. And I, with, with prayer a lot of times, um, you, you learn it from hearing others, right? And, and Jesus is about, or yeah, Jesus is about to say in verse 9, pray then like this. And, and prayer is learned. We have, we have to learn it. Actually, prayer is one of the only things, if not the only thing, in the scriptures that the disciples come to Jesus and ask him explicitly to teach them. In Luke 11, they say, Jesus teaches how to pray. Why? Why do they ask him that? They, they knew how to pray. These, these were pretty religious people. They, they knew how to pray. They've seen it done. They've prayed many times, uh, most likely. Why are they asking Jesus now how to pray? What they're asking him is, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. We see you communing with the Father. We see you spending long hours with the Father. How do you do that? How do you, how do you stay there with the Father for so long? How, why, when you come out of prayer, why are you so different? Why, are you, why does it have such an effect on you when you're in the Father's presence? They see Jesus praying, and they want to know how to do that. And so they've seen prayer done, but they haven't seen it done like Jesus is doing it. They haven't seen a relationship that's so intimate between a father and a son and they say, we want that. Teach, teach us that. And, and, and in Luke 11, then he goes in the Lord's Prayer. Here, Jesus says, pray, pray them like this. And so what you should recognize is prayer is learned. Now, when you think about your, how you pray, like I don't want to, I'm not, it's tough because you don't ever want to criticize someone's prayers. But you can be your own, your own judge according to this passage uh, on, on how you pray. And because what, what we're trying to do this morning is I'm not trying to judge you or, or be critical on you. What I'm trying to do is, is bring your heart to where Jesus wants it. And, and so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about how, how we pray. He says, do not throw up empty phrases. How much of your prayer life is just throwing up empty phrases? Well, you just repeat things you've heard somewhere, and you just, you just say that. Many of you guys, what is, your, what is your prayer when you pray for a meal? Don't tell me, but just think about your prayer when you pray for a meal. And think about what it says. And all of you guys have heard this, but a lot of people, when they pray for food, they say, Lord, Lord, bless it to the nourishment of our bodies, our bodies to your service, blah, blah, blah. That's not a bad prayer. But I don't even know what that means. Bless this food to our, to our bodies. If I'm eating like fried chicken and Skittles, like I don't know what that's, I don't think God can, can change the consistency of fried chicken to make it, to make it good for me. I'm still going to get fat. Like if I'm eating like marshmallows and, do like, you get what I'm saying? So the point of praying for a food is to recognize that God's given us that food. And so in our house, we say, thank you, Jesus, for this food, and then we eat. Like, it's just recognizing God's there. Like, we, don't, we don't do, like, a long prayer over, it's, it's recognizing what God has done for us, that he's given this to us, and then, and then we say, Jesus is, is here with us. This represents 
Uh, this represents us remembering Jesus and what he's done for us. And then, and then we move on. A lot of us just throw up empty phrases, though, and we don't even think about what we're saying. A lot of us, and Jesus starts off his prayer in verse 9. He says, Father. And that's how he starts off his prayer. He's establishing an identity. He's establishing a relationship. He's establishing our identity as children of God. And he's helping us discover that. Uh, and you should be intentional and conscious of what you call God. Some of us, we, when we're praying to God, we say, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. And in one minute prayer, we'll say, Lord God, 86 times. And we're just throwing it up there without any intentionality. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. If you're intentional about that, yeah, keep on calling him Lord God. But a lot of us just, just throw fillers into our prayers because we're not actually having a relationship with the Father. We're like Sylvia Plath. We're just speaking to God, and we're like, the sky is empty. Because we're, we're just speaking out loud. We're just speaking something into the atmosphere, and, and we're not yet even conscious of who we're talking to and where it's going. And, and so just think about a, if, if talking to God is a conversation, if it is a dialogue, if it's us communing with the Father, the most intimate relationship in your life, then it should be like talking to anybody. And I know when I, when I talk to Missy, who's my wife, uh, I hardly ever say her, <laughs> say her name, actually. Um, but in a conversation, I won't say, hey, Missy, did you know, Missy, that we went to Missy, the store, Missy? And I, but we talk to God like that. And, and all I'm saying is let's just be intentional. Let's just be conscious about what we're doing. Let's let Jesus mold our hearts into a relationship, into our identity as his children. Now, when I pray, and I, I told you, I've had to work at prayer. So I'm probably not, I probably should have had uh, like Cecile or Jamie, Peter, Angie, uh, one of the people who come up who's on, who's on the prayer team, who's gifted an intercessory prayer, come and talk about this. But uh, I've had to be really intentional in, in, in who and what names I use for God. So I actually always start my prayers with, with Father, almost always, because I want to recognize that I'm in this relationship. And then depending on what I'm praying for, I'll call God a different name. I'll call God Savior, Rescuer, Helper, uh, my rock, my fortress. We see all these names in the scriptures. And, and I'll use these, these different names of God that are, that are from, from the scriptures in order to communicate to God what I recognize him as. And it's really, it's transforming my heart as I'm saying it. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? So he says, pray like this then, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes into worship. Hallowed is just, may your name be praised, basically. It's, it's, a, it's, it's worship. And so I always then go into prayer, and I thank God for something, for a lot of things, before I move on to anything else. So I'll start my prayer, Father, thank you. Those are my first three words in almost, in, in almost every prayer when I'm, when I'm sitting down and praying for something, or when I'm walking and praying for something, or when I'm driving and praying for something. Anywhere I am, it's, Father, thank you, and I'll recognize those things first, and then, and then go on from there. And it's just praise. It's adoration. It's humility. It's recognizing who I am before the Father. So he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, oh, yeah, you're good. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is an issue of destiny. So we've, we've talked about discovering identity. Jesus, we, pretty, we could have gotten our vision statement from this, this passage. And then he goes into destiny. And when I say destiny, all I mean is, is, is purpose. But destiny gives us an eternal perspective on our purpose. It makes us think, oh, there's something bigger than myself here. When we say purpose, a lot of times we individualize it. When I say, when we use destiny as a church, we mean that you are grafted into something much bigger than, than yourself, much bigger than you individually. Now, you are individually important and significant, Jesus affirms that, but you're even more so when you're part of this larger story that God is weaving in all of creation and all of history and, and bringing you into that in your life, and that's destiny. And there's two destinies, because there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of the enemy. There's the kingdom of light, there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of good, there's the kingdom of evil. There's the kingdom of, of uh, God, and there's the kingdom of self. And when we have self, that's, un that's still darkness. That's, there's, there's all these things that self is, is under. And for a lot of us, our struggle isn't with, isn't, we want to think of it in terms of the kingdom of, of light and darkness, or we may not think about it in terms of the kingdom of God and the enemy. We may not think about it in terms of, of anything bigger than that. But for a lot of us, it's, the struggle is real. That's a, a struggle between kingdom of God and kingdom of ourselves, of our own desires, of our own sin, of our own passions, of our own um, faults, of our own um, things that are just off with us, our own brokenness. And, and he's getting at that here in this verse. He says, in your prayer life, the principle is you were created to be in a different destiny. And that's the, that's the core of your struggle, that you, in your prayer life, you want to say, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But many of us, we can't actually say that. In theory, we want that. We say we want God's will to be done, but when we, when, when we come to Jesus, it's a struggle for us for God's will to be done because we're struggling against ourselves. We're struggling against the, the kingdom of darkness. We're struggling against so many things, our own sin, our own struggles, because we can't say, your will be done, because pride has, has reared its head again. And I was talking to someone this week, and they said something so amazing, because when, when you think of God's will, a lot of us say, especially if we're followers of Jesus, we want God to move. We want him to work. We want him to tell us what to do. And some of us would, would say, God, just, just tell me. I just, need, I've, I just need you to tell me what to do, and I'll do that. But in reality, you actually don't want a God who tells you what to do all the time. Do you? Do you, any of you like someone who tells you what to do all the time? I know Mel doesn't. She's acting like... <laughs> I love how her sister laughed the loudest. Uh, <laughs> um... No, we don't want someone to tell us, and God doesn't want that either. God doesn't want robots. Yeah, he's not here to tell us what to do all the time. Now, he's here, he wants to build kingdom character in us, and a lot of times that involves us making choices. 
And I was talking to this guy last week, and, and we were talking about this exact thing. And, and I told him, you know, Dallas Willard talks about the will of God as, as like a, a playground or a backyard that's fenced in. And you're, you're there. And, and God doesn't care if you ride the swing. He doesn't care if you go down the slide. He doesn't care if you play in the dirt. He just loves that you're in that backyard. And, and God is a father, and he sits back. And sometimes I'll look at, I'll look at my kids play, and I just watch them play. I watch them figure out things. I watch them make choices. I watch them do different things. And it brings joy to my heart when I do that. It just, it's like, man, that is a little person doing their thing, and their personality is coming out. And I wouldn't have chosen what Emerson did or Reagan did, but, but they would, because that's how God has created them. And, and it wasn't a choice between right or wrong. It was just a choice between good and good. And for many of us, we think, we think it's a choice between right or wrong. Those are the easy choices, guys. It's like, do I murder somebody or do I not murder somebody? Like, that's clear. Do I cheat on my wife or do I not cheat on my wife? Like, that's, those things are the easy choices. Those, those are clear. We just, we know, like, whether you are a, a Christian or not a Christian, you inherently know, like, some of those things are just wrong, okay? That's right or wrong. A lot of your choices in life are character building because it's not a choice between right and wrong. It's a choice between good and good. And you're like, well, what about good and better? <laughs> I don't know. It might be. You might have better in there too. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but we can't live the life that we thought we would live if we had chosen the choice because that's not the life we have. And we have to, did I say that too fast? I'm like, we can't live the, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> you have to catch it online. We can't live the life we thought we would have lived. I can't remember. So, um, <laughs> and, and sometimes, sometimes the choice boils down to this. When we say, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, sometimes the choice boils down to, God, show me what's going to stretch my faith more. God, show me What's going to be the harder decision? And most of us are just looking for the, for the easy decision. But, but God may want to grow something in you. And what if you ask God, God, what, is, what has a stranglehold on me right now that is hindering me, preventing me from following you that you want to remove? And which choice removes it? And that's never an easy question. That's kind of a dangerous question. It's, it's, it's a little scary because that may be a little painful for you. And God isn't wanting to inflict that pain, but he wants you to grow. And, and so maybe, God, what, what's the most faith-building one here? Which, which one should I take that, that looks crazy to the world, but for some odd reason just works in your kingdom? Ask God those questions when you say you will be done. And be prepared to, for, for what he says. And, and then walk, walk forward in it. All right, let's, let's move on to the next the, to the next verse here, the next few verses and principles. So Jesus gives three things here in verses 11, 12, and 13. And, and remember, these are principles. So you could pray the Lord's Prayer, guys. I'm not saying don't pray the Lord's Prayer. You can totally pray the Lord's Prayer. But it's a starting point. And we should pray it word for word sometimes. I made a practice for about a year where I prayed it. I tried to pray it every day, every other day, something like that. 
probably was worked out to once a week. I don't know. Um, I, I normally fail at those things. Uh, and, and, but it became this practice of mine where I just prayed in over and over again, and it really taught me how to pray. I just wanted to go back to the foundations of prayer. And he deals with three things here, and you notice they're all connected. They're connected. He says, give us their daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the three things he's dealing with are our physical needs, daily bread, our mental, emotional needs, forgiveness, is what he starts with. Forgiveness is where he starts. And... Uh, our third, third one is our spiritual needs. And he talks about temptation and, and puts them in the context of holiness. And if you look at this, that's everything we need to survive on a daily basis. Now, many of us just stop at verse 11. Now, we know that we need our, our spiritual needs met and fulfilled, and we know that we need our mental needs and our emotional needs met and fulfilled, and we want those things, but for most of us, it's our physical needs that determine uh, our spiritual and our emotional and our mental needs. And when our physical needs are lacking, when they're not met how we think they should be, it affects our spiritual state, it affects our mental state, it affects our emotional state. And, and we stop there at the physical because we're such temporally uh, devoted beings. And Daniel will do a whole sermon on this next week on you are eternal and what that means for us, so I won't preach his sermon before he preaches it. But we're not focused on the eternal. We're just focused on the temporal. We're focused on the physical. And what Jesus is doing here is saying they all go together, guys. You don't have to get rid of the physical. You just have to put in also the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. But a lot of us cut it off at the physical, and that's, that's why we're struggling emotionally and mentally and physically, because we haven't looked at this holistically. So Jesus is giving us a holistic picture here of what it looks like to be in this relationship with the Father. And he's saying, you are his child, and he wants to give all these things to you. And prayer is about communion. Prayer is about being in fellowship with the Father. There... Oh, gosh, I can, say so many, I can say so many more things about prayer. And just let me give you some examples from my, own, from, from my own times in prayer. Sometimes I just sit there and I picture Jesus next to me. And that's it. I don't say anything. I, don't, I let my mind wander. Some will say, well, what if my mind wanders? Why well, just let it? You have the mind of Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2. Let it wander. Let God speak through your mind. Let him speak through your thoughts. Let him put your mind at ease. Let him do, do whatever and just sit in silence and solitude. It's a Christian, ancient Christian pr practice that we have forgotten in our busy city, but it's one of the ones that has rescued my prayer life over the past five years. And I try to make a practice every morning. I don't do it every morning, but I try to do it every morning of sitting in silence. 30 seconds, 30 minutes. I've never done 30 minutes. I can't do 30 minutes. 30 seconds, <laughs> three minutes, uh, how, however long. Some of you guys can do that, that longer. Um, and just, and I say this, I always start off with this too. Uh, speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
when God comes to, when God calls his name. And, and, and in that moment, in that passage, God calls, and some of you guys know this, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel doesn't recognize that it's, it's God speaking. And Samuel, his name actually means the Lord hears. So when, when God is calling Samuel's name, he's saying, the Lord hears, the Lord hears. And Samuel still doesn't get it. And he finally does. But, um, and you see there, when he spends time with the Father, his whole life changes. And you see that in that one chapter, in that passage. Uh, and, and he's in this relation where God is speaking to him constantly. And when Paul says, pray without ceasing, we think that's impossible. Henry Nouwen says, what is prayer but a redeeming of your thoughts? You're thinking all the time. Start directing your thoughts to the Father. Be intentional uh, about doing that. And you'll see what prayer without ceasing means because then you're, then you're recognizing God's presence with you all the time because that's what prayer essentially is about. It's about being in the presence of the Father. So when he says you will receive your reward, that is your reward. And I said this last week, when we pray, guys, that is the most intimate relationship we'll be in in all of eternity. And when you pray, you're literally stepping into the heavenlies, into the spiritual realm. You are in the blood of Jesus, with Jesus, seated with the Father, in the throne room, right there. And, and that's like, that's just amazing that we have access to the Father through the blood of Christ, and we are... We're transported from here into the heavenlies. That is the power of prayer. And if we as followers of Jesus could recognize that, that we are going to encounter Jesus Christ every time we recognize his presence around us through prayer, that will change your life. That'll change how you view your physical needs. That'll change how you view your mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. And you'll recognize that God is giving those things to you. Three purposes of prayer and this is, and, and I'll close with a quote after this. One, we saw that prayer cultivates humility, right? We've talked about that. Two, it centers you with God's will. And three, it causes dependence on God. So we are, you know, a lot of times we, we try to influence God so that his will becomes our will. The whole time you're praying, God is moving your will into his will. And then it's throwing you just at the feet of the Father, causing you to depend upon God. Peter Kraft uh, gives this quote in this book called Back to Virtue. He is 20th century um, philosopher, theologian, Catholic. Uh, he says this, prayer is a kind of death, a rehearsal for death. In praying, we die to ourselves, humility, we die to our will, our ordinary consciousness, that's, that's interesting that he puts it there, our ordinary consciousness and desires and concerns, even our ordinary world, and we enter God's world, aligning our minds and wills with God's. We die to our time. We sacrifice our loaves and fishes to him, our physical needs, and he multiplies them. Do you trust God like that? When you, when you pray, are you trusting that God is going to do something, that he's going to multiply, that, that when you sacrifice something, he is going to provide? We're so afraid to sacrifice something. We're so afraid to give God things. 
But he always provides. Whenever you see in the scriptures, he always provides. And it's oftentimes better than we could have ever imagined it or ever made it into ourselves. And so this morning, as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that there is tremendous power in prayer. And when you're in the presence of the Father, people take notice. You don't have to be out there on the street corner. They saw Jesus different, and, and they saw him filled with the Spirit, and they saw him live a life full of that. And we can live that sort of life. And, and we can be salt and light, but it has to start with that prayer life. And so for a lot of us, that involves dying to ourselves, for all of us. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, your first step into that is to recognize your own sinfulness. It's to recognize your own pride, and it's a step forward in humility and saying, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. That's where he starts with, with, um, with us in the Lord's Prayer. I need your forgiveness. I'm broken before you. Come and rescue me. And when you can accept Christ's forgiveness, you can then accept the presence of the Father. And when you can do that, then you can begin to give that to other people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Think that it is, it is true. Father, thank you for all that you are, for your grace and your mercy, and, and that today those mercies are new. Today those, that, that grace is new. Today your forgiveness is new. And that we can live in that reality. And I pray this morning that we would discover our identity and destiny in Christ so that we can influence. And how do we influence? We do it out of an abundance because you've given us so much. So thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing here in our hearts this morning. Make us into a people who just want to be with you, who don't need to heap up empty phrases, who don't need to impress anybody, but who recognize that when we speak to you, we're just with you and that you are here. So thank you for being here with us this morning. Do your work in us now, we ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.